People can't get enough of the Stouting Off podcast. Tune in each week as Drew Stoutenberg and his producer, Jordan McMillian, spout off commentary on the everyday. The Stouting Off podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. E2i Design is a full solutions provider for all things audio, video, lighting, and broadcast. Whether it be design, installation, or simply offering gear for a great price, E2i Design supports you by providing the right tools for the job. Look them up on Facebook or Instagram at E2i Design or visit their website, E2iDesign.com. Episode 124 of the Motor City HDJ podcast. Nicole Colley of the Alzheimer's Association. Friends, I cannot begin to tell you how thrilled I am that you get to listen to this conversation today. Over the last few years, I have been so fortunate to do a lot of work for my friends of the Michigan chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. And so I wanted to chat with Nicole, kind of get away from the typical interview style of talking to vendors that folks would hire and really just talk about an amazing, great, wonderful, perfect, awesome group of people doing their part to end Alzheimer's disease. You can check them out at alz.org. I definitely would encourage you to do that. Also, don't forget about my sponsor, the only one, E2i Design. Check him out on social media at E2i Design, Facebook and Instagram, or E2iDesign.com. They're the sponsors of this podcast that starts right now. Thanks for doing this, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you chatting with me. Because this is more fun than, you know, my average Saturday, so that's cool. It is. Well, right now in the pandemic, Saturdays aren't what they used to be, and I'm so yep. bummed that they're not the way they used to be. How are things right now? Uh, mostly good. It's. I think it was a lot of getting used to, like, what the heck does this virtual world look like, and right. how do we function, and how do we improve? Because it was like, last year was finding the baseline of, like, how do we transition everything virtual, and now it's like, right. okay, how do we excel in that way until things can be more normal, you know? So, it's just kind of been like a buildup of how to add more, and all of that because it's very involved in just a short period of time that I've had the opportunity to work with you and your group and groups because there have been many I actually had to make a list of <laughs> uh and 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 I and I've done this before with all of my clients as far as the kinds of events that I've done you know mm -hmm. be it a wedding or graduation party but I I went and actually made a list of all of the Alzheimer's events so far that I've had the opportunity to do and not to spoil what the meaning of them are, but I'll, I'll rattle, rattle them off rather, and then uh, kind of we'll break them down what they mean. Uh, yeah. But um, I've only so far had a chance to do the Brighton Walk, and we'll talk about what walk means, of course. Uh, I've done the walk, Brighton Walk one time, Lansing Walk twice, Washtenaw's Virtual Walk one time, Brighton's Virtual Walk one time, <laughs> uh, the David Rutledge Golf Outing twice. That's an amazing time. I'm think we're going to be okay hopefully fingers crossed we get to do that again because that's an amazing outdoor event. you know oh yeah of course chances Golf. are better <laughs> yes um the rivals event longest day one time virtual dance party we did that the night to remember kickoff i've done that a couple times of course the gatsby gala uh, i've done that once and so all of these events that i'm talking about and when i've had the opportunity to work with you and your group they're all for one major purpose and I'm going to get into that here in a moment, but I first and foremost, because as much as we've talked and gotten things organized for different events that you do, I really have never had the conversation about what you do for the Alzheimer's Association. So tell us what Nicole does for the Michigan chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. So to put it most simply, I run the Brighton Walk and the Flint Walk. So I'm all over Livingston County and Genesee County specifically. Um, that was a change that we actually made last year was my first year with Genesee. I was previously doing the longest day half of the time and walk half of the time and splitting the hat in like two different events that are two different times of the year was a little bit difficult. Right. Um, we actually went through a merger. There used to be two chapters in the state of Michigan. And so last year we went through a merger combining into one larger chapter altogether to be able to utilize resources better and serve more people. Sure. Um, so we shifted positions a bit when we did that. And that's when I went from um, doing longest day to doing two walks instead, because they just wanted kind of one point person for the state to kind of run the mm. same event instead of multiple people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's been a fun switch. I, I enjoy working on the same event and it's it's convenient my walks are kind of right next to each other so the timeline's similar and everything but 
I don't know when I when I talk to people about walk specifically, they're like, well, it's it's an event. It's like a one day event. So like, what do you do the rest of the year? And it's like, well, the rest of the year you have to be like preparing for the event and getting the awareness out there and getting people excited to start a team earlier in the year. And so wait a minute, it doesn't, does it and... not just magically happen by itself? <laughs> I mean, there's organization that goes into this. People are like, what you work full time. Yeah. Like, yeah it's, it's, it's a pretty busy right. job. <laughs> well, let's talk about what the importance of, so we said, we've said the word walk mm-hmm. when we're talking about a walk, what is walk? I don't know. Maybe I look at it a little bit differently because I started from an outsider's perspective before I was staff. Sure. But I, I kind of view walk specifically as like the largest awareness piece, the largest um, almost support group in a way event. And it's and really, I mean, truly, as the association, we say, too, it's it's the celebration of our success from the year of all of the fundraising that all of our walkers have done through the year because it is our biggest fundraising piece to do all of the support pieces that we do all year round but I think that it's really neat to see like the number of people that show up on a walk day that maybe didn't know about the association didn't know that other people were dealing with the same thing they show up and they just feel so supported and so loved because they look around and they see so many people going through the same thing as them Um, so for me that's like the biggest piece yeah, this is a big deal from what I've learned in just not only researching for this um, conversation with you today, but over the years as I've been involved with the Alzheimer's Association through various events, um, again, with WALK or any other fundraising effort. I think the biggest thing that people need to understand is the Alzheimer's Association is a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So everything, for, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but everything in the fundraising effort I mean, it's crucial because that's where you're, to my understanding, uh, helping fund research, clinical trials to help eradicate Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And even just in the last few years, uh, in the relationship I've built with the Alzheimer's Association, in my opinion, probably the most important nonprofit group that there is because this is not just something that can affect older people. I think there is a stigma there, just at mm-hmm. least from what I knew about Alzheimer's before I started getting more involved with this. I definitely felt there was a stigma that this affects primarily older people, but it does not. I mean, it can affect anyone at any time. And so uh, we'll, I'll let you talk more about that. I want to steal your thunder, but that's just kind of the passion uh, and why I've believed in working with this cause over the years, because um, even just from day one in the opportunity that I've had, I've seen this as just like, why aren't we doing more, you know? And 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 I know I get it. I mean, the, the, your whole year revolves around fundraising for really the walk. I mean, you've kind of already expressed that, and we'll get into more about why that's important for the the annual fundraising effort. But yeah, this is not just a hobby for you, you know, Mm -hmm. so there's a lot to it. And I, um, as far as your journey goes though, Nicole, how did you get involved? I know you said you were an outsider at some point. How did you now get in? How did you get involved with the Alzheimer's association? It's kind of been a long brewing passion. I, I went to school for recreation therapy and I started off in like a rehab setting in an inpatient hospital, you know, that's like where I wanted to be. And at some point we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, And there wasn't any openings in hospitals specifically for what I wanted to do. And so I took a job at a nursing home. That's just what I was able to find. And I thought, you know, I'll just do this till I find something else. And after about a year, I just loved it. And I just stuck it out. And I was with the same company for five and a half years when we were down there. And I I just loved what I did. We had a memory care unit there. And um, I was an activities director at the time. And I just... I was really drawn to memory care specifically. Um, it kind of, it started to hit a little bit more personal down there because I formed a lot of really great relationships. And I had like the one resident that always sticks out in my mind. There was a lady that really thought I was her granddaughter. And for me, like we, we lived somewhere that we didn't have any family around us. And so like, I got really close with her and she kind of sure. was like my little grandmother down there. So she was the first one like memory right. care wise that really stuck out to me. Um, I started a support group there. I started fundraising with coworkers there um, just for something fun to do at first. And because I felt like support group was so needed and it was just really, really cool to get in with the association and kind of see what all they did. And so I was a volunteer in that capacity down there. And that was just really awesome. Um, 2016, we moved back to Michigan and I kept working in long-term care. I was still an activities director for a while. 
the year that we moved back is actually the year that my grandfather was diagnosed as well. And so it became very much personal and professional at that point. At some point, I made the shift to um, running a memory care center for the company that I was working for. So I was very, very involved in memory care specifically at that point. I was doing all of the onboarding training and whatnot for new staff related to dementia. And I joined my local walk planning committee because uh, somebody named Lauren that knew I liked to do fundraising from being a walker said, hey, you should join me sometime and just see what it's all about. And so I went with her to a meeting. I really liked the committee. That was really fun. That was the year that she and I embarked on starting the Gatsby Gala for the first time, which was like the first large scale event that we had done. And just to kind of throw something together that first year, it was pretty darn successful. And that was fun. And then I don't know, I don't feel like I had been at the memory care very long when I had my second child. And that was when things got to be like having two kids really little and being on call 24 seven and all of it was just a bit much. So I had to take a step back and I didn't work for a little while while I was trying to figure out like what exactly I'm going to do. We were going through a move at the time. I had a newborn. It was crazy. Um, And so that was the first year that I was on the walk planning committee as well. And when I was ready to go back to work was when the Brighton walk manager position was open. And I thought, well, I'm just going to apply for it because that would be amazing. (laughs) Like That's exactly what I love to do like all the time. That's my passion. And so I applied and I, I happened to get it and I've just been rocking and rolling ever since. I know you have. I think it's just an amazing thing. I, I think about my uh, what you do. That's all you do every day. Of course, what I do in, in the, the work that I've chosen to do in the capacity, every event is different, right? A wedding is different from a class reunion, which is different from a fundraising event or, or something like that. But to literally all you have to think about is the fundraising efforts for Alzheimer's and b- managing the walk. I just, pal, that's just, that's amazing. I mean, it's a lot, a lot of work. I've seen what goes into it. I've been a part of what goes into it. I know <laughs> <laughs> I know what your journey is like to some extent, some fraction of that. And so I am just, um, yeah, it's important for people to know about this group and what you do and, and you know, why we're talking today. And I know that, you know, generally the saying is that necessity uh, is the mother of invention, right? So Alzheimer's has always been there and we've mm-hmm. discovered uh, more about it over time, but Groups like this have formed over time to help learn more about it. I guess the the question for you would be, how did this group form specifically with the Alzheimer's Association, um, maybe as a whole, but also with the Brighton Walk? I mean, how how did we get to this point where the Alzheimer's Association is helping to fund research and clinical trials? And, and maybe tell us a little bit more about that. Well, for Brighton specifically, it um, it didn't start in this area specifically until 2011, um, okay. I think was the first year that we were in right. Brighton. And um, I wasn't obviously around at the time, but the kind of what I've heard through multiple people that were in the area and whatnot was there were some families that uh, went to the memory walks when they were in Ann Arbor. And they decided, you know what, we need this for Livingston County. And I don't know exactly how the conversation went down, but the gist of what I've heard is the Alzheimer's Association was like, well, Livingston County isn't like really huge. Like, yeah, I don't really see it taking off there. And they were like, no, really, it will. And so they were like, okay, well, I mean, like get get some support and show us it's going to happen or show us it'll work. And so um, the families that were behind that just really rallied and really pushed for that cause to happen and brought it to Livingston County. And so the, I don't, I don't know all of the exact numbers because we, I think we've switched systems multiple times too, so I can't even access records all the way that far back. But um, I know that in 2011, it started off as like a $30,000 walk. It was small enough that it fit in the old mill pond before it got redone downtown. Um, And since then, it has more than doubled in size twice. So it's just crazy to see how far it's come and how many people are really behind this cause in the area. And just as a frame of reference, too, because there are some people that listen to this that are not in Michigan or from Michigan. So we're talking about Mill Pond in Brighton. Um, Brighton is where we're located. And in Brighton, there's a little part of the Main Street area, which is called Mill Pond. And that's a central gathering place. And uh, that's usually where the walk kicks off from, right? Yeah, so nowadays we do it right on Main Street. We're the only event in town that closes Main Street aside from the like four city festivals. 
Um, and it used to be like, or you city know, festivals every weekend. You mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it during the summer. How many times yeah. is Main Street closed? Anyway. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, it used to fit in that little wooden gazebo and, and nowadays That's it's awesome. right on Main Street because it doesn't yeah. fit there anymore. That's wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. I, man, oh man, I want to jump ahead, but I don't want to jump ahead because I am looking forward. Fingers crossed. I, we've already talked about this. I'm looking forward to this year. Um, yes, I finally blocked off the time. Folks, if you're listening to this, I, I have to tell you and give you a little reference here. Nicole has wanted me to do the last few walks and I've already been booked up for weddings and I've had to say no. But finally <laughs> this year again, finally two of four, 50 percent. Why not? So I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to this year's walk. I think it's going to be absolutely wonderful, especially in a time where people need to get outside. <laughs> Goodness yes. gracious. We need some sunlight. Um, it is not all fun, though. I know the walk is a it's a great way to celebrate uh, how the group is advancing the cause for Alzheimer's research. But it is not all fun. You know, you have to get really the reason you're there in the first place is because you're raising money um, for research for folks that have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So let's start at the beginning. How is Alzheimer's diagnosed? That one's not necessarily an easy answer, unfortunately, still nowadays. It's, we used to be able to definitively say that it couldn't be like 100% diagnosed until after death with a brain autopsy. And nowadays that yeah. is changing. I mean, physicians use like medical history. They use different testing, neurological exams, physical right. tests, diagnostic right. testing. They do like brain imaging. So all of that together, they can like put together and say that somebody has Alzheimer's now. But um, we're still not quite at a point yet where it's like, hey, take this test and then you know if you have it. You know, it's that that still has not happened mm. um, definitively. So we're looking mm. forward to the day when that comes along. With that, I mean, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, we're discovering even with things like COVID, I mean, the, <laughs> it's changing in how we diagnose who has it, what kind of symptoms, you know, are you experiencing? Same with this. I mean, are there any specific signs or symptoms that would point you or, or point a medical professional and say, yes, you know, sir or madam, you may be suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia? I mean, is there, is there, are there, I mean, I guess what would the symptoms and, and, and early yeah. signs be? I think your keywords there were, yes, you may have, because yeah. what's so hard is that um, a lot of the symptoms that we do see could also be other things. And so usually it's like, okay, we have to reel out, rule out X, Y, Z, all these other things before they can really say, okay, we think this is really what you have. Um, but they're definitely, there's definitely a running list of like some of the kind of major things to look out for. And we do um, part of like our programming and whatnot that we do, and it's on our website and everything as well. I'll provide you with a bunch of links at the end of this. You we have it. like a top 10 that are like a know the 10 signs class that we run. Right. And so it's it's um, memory that isn't just normal, like, hey, I forgot where I put my keys, but memory that's actually disrupting your daily life, things that are making living normal life difficult, wow. um, challenging sure. and challenging, um, like planning or problem solving, difficult tasks um, being like familiar things. So something that you've always been good at that's suddenly hard for you or something that you've done consistently for years and all of a sudden you can't anymore. Um, confusion yeah. with time or place specifically is a big one. Um, understanding like visual spatial things. So if you like my, my solid example of this one I used to teach would be like those glass doors at malls and stuff that you would walk through, right? Somebody who's like Got going it. forward, most Got people it. would know that that's a glass door and somebody with dementia that doesn't register right. as glass anymore because that spatial just isn't there anymore. Right. Um, new problems with writing or speaking. So not like if you've always had a problem, but if newer things with writing or speaking specifically are coming up, um, poor judgment or at least decreased judgment, mm -hmm. somebody who's like starting to withdraw socially, okay. um, and then changes in mood and personality. Mm -hmm. And not to say that like everybody that has Alzheimer's or dementia is going to have all 10 of these things, but any of these 10 things, if they start sure. popping up even remotely consistently should at least be checked out at the very least, to rule out if there's something else going on. Some startling things that I read at alz.org, by the way. I'll slip that in here in the middle. The main resource for where you want to be, alz.org. And it's hard to talk about, to think that yeah. more than 5 million Americans live with Alzheimer's or yeah. other dementias. And that even more so, that it is the sixth 
leading cause of death? Really? Yeah. And what's crazy about that one specifically, this is something I always slip in. Technically right now, it's the sixth leading cause of death. But what they project or what they think is that it might actually be closer to like number three. Because what's really common is that if somebody dies with comorbidities and maybe they have dementia, but they also have COPD or lung cancer or whatever it is, um, they oftentimes on their death certificate, whatever that other thing is, is what gets listed. And it's not often dementia. So that's one of the things that we're trying to educate more on is that if somebody has dementia, that also needs to be listed on the death certificate because then this number is a lot lower than it really should be. And it's, it's wild to think too. Another statistic that I saw on, on the website there is that one third of seniors die of Alzheimer's a third. Yes. Yes. I mean, so to think of, uh, and, and I'm going to say seniors, what we're going to classify that 65 plus, right? Uh, yep, 65 is that magic number that's like yeah. the most common. Yeah. 65 plus to think my grandmothers and one of their friends, one of them is gonna is gonna die of Alzheimer's. That's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. That's crazy to me. And that's unbelievable that we're, you know, it seems like it seems like there's a point where as far as research and studying and clinical trials of uh, treatments. And obviously as time moves on, it seems like the Alzheimer's association has done a great job at advancing that cause and that we are now further ahead than we were before. Right. So as time Mm -hmm. moves on and we learn more about certain things, we can obviously, uh, you know, figure out ways to, you know, just like the COVID vaccine, right. We, learned about COVID. It's still mutating. We're still trying to figure out ways. We think we have it. We're still, you know, so as we educate and as we uh, continue to learn more about it, I mean, obviously we can continue to combat it. And the biggest thing, um, uh, you know, another fact that I saw that was startling was that half of the doctors and physicians across the country don't feel that the medical profession as a whole is ready for just this growing number of people living with Alzheimer's or other dementias. And I guess the question would be, how do you think we fix that? How can we fix that number? How can we fix that situation? Well, I think we as a whole, that's, that's difficult for sure. Um, I can say that from an association standpoint, the two biggest ways that we're trying to work on that are through advocacy and through health systems. So I, I, I popped in with a couple of my coworkers that work specifically in those areas to like make sure I got um, some good information that was I, when you're not the yeah. person that works on something all the time. I'm like, ah, I don't want to like oh, not say something right yeah. or, you know, different things like <laughs> that. But numbers, right. um, I was like, I know that we're working from an advocacy standpoint. I mean, for those of uh, for anybody listening that doesn't know, as far as everything the association works on, advocacy is one of our four main pillars. And so we fight on both state and national levels all year long to try and push various bills through that are working for things like care and support for those with dementia or those caring for them or whatever else may be helpful at the time with what we're going through. And so when it comes to um, not having enough care or not being prepared, um, we're, we're working really hard with elected officials to try and work on some of those things. So one of the problems is the fact that there's not enough physicians in our state that make early detection possible. Um, that's, that's a really tough thing to, to see. And I think to comprehend that there's, there's not enough doctors diagnosing. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is just that, um, there's not really enough of like a dementia infrastructure. So one of the things that we started working Mm. on this last year that we're hoping to be able to push through over the next few years is having an actual dementia unit at the state health department. So um, that's something that it would be kind of in the infrastructure for the entire state at that point. And it would, I think that's huge for the awareness piece and it's something that's going to be worked on all the time. So that's, yeah. Yeah. On an advocacy level, that's That's something that we're working at. Another thing that's really big kind of going along with not having enough physicians that are diagnosing is just health systems in general, whether it's, you know, statewide, nationwide, everywhere. This is something on a national level we're working on too, but we have a dedicated person now who specifically goes from hospital system to hospital system, working with various people on things like educating how to maybe do things different or how to uh, add more physician numbers, different things like that. But 
it kind of falls into that category, like I said, where there's not enough physicians diagnosing. And they're kind of in this, there's not enough people that are specific to geriatrics or neurology or this or that. And it's kind of falling on those primary care physicians where maybe it's not their specialty, but they're the ones that are really having to deal with it, right? And so a lot of it then is they're kind of in this unique position where they're already seeing seniors on an annual basis, right? They're following their care. So what can we do to make their job easier at that point to help them, you know, have this test in place or that test in place to kind of catch that early detection and help them in that way? So the biggest thing from from what I gather from all of that really is that with especially, you know, knowledge is power, right? So the more Mm -hmm. we know, the more we can assist and help. But it seems like, especially with physicians and even just, let's just say a general primary care, they may not, uh, just like you said, they may be, you know, they're obviously treating a whole bunch of different things. So they're not able to necessarily focus on, okay, well, this person, uh, you know, this is a sign of Alzheimer's or dementia. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's, I I think I agree with you. It's going to require uh, mm-hmm. focused care, as it were. You know, the doctors are going to, need to be able to focus in and say, "This is, you know, this is this person's condition, and this is how we can diagnose this, and and we can treat them moving forward." And it's amazing too, because, um, you know, learning. I, man, oh man, that's why I love doing this because I have the ability to learn about. Um, we should always be learning, right? If we're not learning, we're we're not doing anything with our lives, but in learning more about Alzheimer's Association and what you do, um, to know that that Alzheimer's kills more people than breast cancer and prostate cancer combined yes. is another wild thing to think about. And cancer is a pretty serious deal, and it's a pretty over. Um, uh, it's got a pretty big umbrella. We talk about cancer, and then you've got different kinds of cancers that you have to talk mm-hmm. about within that umbrella of the cancer. And so, to think that even still that Alzheimer's kills more people than breast and prostate cancer combined. That's pretty jarring too. One other thing that stuck out in my mind that I'm, I've been really focusing on and um, grappling with is that this just doesn't affect just people that have Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, Someone has to take care of that person because they can't take care of themselves. And so you know, we know not only are people living with the disease, but caregivers, uh, family members are providing support for for those people living with Alzheimer's. What does that look like as far as um, the number of people that would be considered a caregiver for someone living with Alzheimer's or any other sort of dementia? What is, you know, paint that picture. So I'm going to give you a uh, kind of two numbers and one answer here, and it's going to be a little shocking, I think, because to me, it's just insane. But um, along with the over 5 million people we have that are living with the disease, we have more than 16 million Americans that provide unpaid care. That's the key word there. Most of the people that are providing this care are people that work their own full-time jobs and then are also taking care of a family member. Um, And what's crazy about that is part of the study that we did last year. So each each year we come out with an annual facts and figures report. I believe I read that it'll be coming out soon this year. Um, But last year, part of our focus specifically was physicians and caregiving. And so with these caregiver numbers, they were able to kind of go through and and look at numbers a little bit closer. And with those 16 million Americans, so the number that stuck out to me was they provide an estimated 18.6 billion hours of care that are valued at $244 billion. That's all that unpaid care from those caregivers yeah. that are, they have their own I families, they have their too, own jobs, and then they're yeah. still caring for people. And it's yep. just like, it is mind blowing. Yeah. I saw that too. Uh, spoiler alert, I may or may not have gathered all of my information from the minute <laughs> and a half long video at ALZ.org. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, 40 hours a week. How many people across the country? Uh, working a 40 hour or more work week, combine that now with uh, 18.6 billion hours of care. So yeah, even I know you and I even know um, persons, people that are doing this, that are caring for um, or had cared for or have cared for people who uh, are living or were living with Alzheimer's on top of having a full-time job. And it's very apparent. I mean, the stress that it puts on um and again, we know this is a loving stress because every single person that cares for someone with Alzheimer's is doing it out of love, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, to see someone going through that um, is, is just, it's an awful thing. And um, to know that there are people that are giving even more of themselves on top of their busy lives already and not seeing a single dime, not mm-hmm. that it's about the money, but if we look at it as a whole, the amount of time that people invest, I mean, again, worth $244 billion of what could be, um, you know, healthcare, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's another income, that's incomes, you know? And so yeah. these people are, are donating time and, and um, their resources to take care of people that they love with Alzheimer's. And I'm reminded specifically of, um, I did the longest day a few years ago. What is the longest day as it refers to Alzheimer's? What is the longest day mean? So the longest day kind of gets its name from it's, it's celebrated on the longest day of the year, right? um, which is the summer solstice. So this year that is June 20th. Um, Kind of the way that I've always described the longest day to people when you think about it is when, um, when you think about somebody living with a disease or somebody that's caring for somebody to them, every day of their life feels like the longest day. And so we choose the longest day of the year, the day with the most light to um, honor them and to celebrate them and to, to do what we can. And so that's, that's turned into its own fundraising event. It back in the day when it first started, it started as like a grassroots, Hey, if your grandmother used to love to bake, have a bake-a-thon and turn that into a fundraiser. And that's your longest day event. You know, it's kind of a do whatever you want and turn it into a fundraiser type event. Yeah. Um, And so it's, it's kind of, it's a unique event that you can literally anything that you enjoy doing, anything that your loved one has ever enjoyed doing, you can take it, find a way to monetize it and honor them by fundraising for this, for this cause. So the longest day I had a chance to do, I've only had a chance to do one of them so far. Uh, I'd love to do more. You should do one again this year. I know it. I know (laughs) it. Please just let me go somewhere. Um, The longest day with our friends at Hillside, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I met a gentleman and this is, this is hard to talk about without getting emotional because I met this young man um, eight times that day. Yeah. Uh, same guy. And, uh, you know, I don't know where his journey was and what brought him to that place, but I know, um, I think that's what changed my involvement with the Alzheimer's association. It was never, and it never has been in, in really this, I want this episode to be more about the, the association as a whole, but I'll just very quickly touch on this. Uh, th- any sort of charitable work that I've ever done, I've fully sunk myself into because I believe in the cause that I'm working with. I very much have expressed that at the beginning of this episode. Um, I believe in the cause of the Alzheimer's Association. I believe in every single other cause that I've worked for, and I think it's great that we advance the good in the world. Um, but that day, I believe it was a June 21st, when I met that young man, eight times that day, that changed it for me. Um, For every person out there that's caring for someone with Alzheimer's or dementia, um, and I can't remember the young man's name, for his sake, to make him feel normal was the Mm -hmm. most important thing to me. To know that this is something he was living with and is living with, um, and to be able to just give him some sort of normalcy. Uh, I think that's what's mm-hmm. important for every single um, person that is is giving care for someone with Alzheimer's because their world has literally been turned upside down. Everything yeah. that they knew, they may not know like they did before. And uh, of course, this is a neurological thing. So this is affecting their brain and who they were. And you've, you've talked about some of those um, those things that they go through that someone living with Alzheimer's or any other sort of dementia goes through as far as, um, you know, spatial awareness or loss of memory. I mean, that's, it's, it's a big deal. And how, how do we, you know, Nicole, there's gotta be some hope on the horizon here. How close are we to finding a cure for Alzheimer's? Well, I am not by any means a researcher, but, uh, I can say that the last few years they have been so much more hopeful about something very soon than they ever were for so many years before. And a large part of that is the funding increases that we've seen lately. Um, I I don't know the numbers off the top of my head of, 
I remember a couple of years ago going to a national conference um, and seeing the numbers of what other diseases kind of get year to date, like this is how much funding they get federally type thing. And I remember seeing some of these other causes and then seeing Alzheimer's and the number being so much smaller. And I remember thinking, how in the world, like where, where, why is that? Why is the funding not there for something like this? And I think so much of it goes back to that, that common misconception that you brought up earlier, that misconception that A, it just affects old people because it doesn't. And I think the other huge common misconception is that it's not just memory. I mean, people just think like, oh, people just forget a few things and, you know, la-di-da, it's not a big deal, but it's so much more than that. I mean, you said it yourself, it's, it's a neurological disease. It's a disease of the brain. And if, when you think about it, your, your brain functions, your entire body, it is the warehouse. It's controlling everything in your body. So if pieces of your brain start to die, whatever part of the body that part of the brain controlled isn't going to work anymore so slowly over time all of your body is going to stop working and so at some point I think everybody has to start to realize a little bit more that it's not just oh I forgot this or I forgot that it's so much more than that um and yeah so and sorry I went on a little bit of a tirade there Um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah the a couple of the things that have really been coming out the last year or so kind of the the top three that stick out in my mind that I've been hearing the most about from the association specifically that's kind of I I go to if this is what they're talking about this is truth because um, the association is the biggest funder for research. They they put together a global, like international conference for research every year. There's always stuff all over the place online. Take this magic pill cure and this and that. Yeah. Eat a billion right. avocados right. and it'll cure your Alzheimer's. Like there's <laughs> there's stuff like that everywhere, Jeez. right? There's doctors claiming that they've cured it or they can reverse it and all of that is garbage, right? So I I go back to what is the association working on? What's like right on their website, right out there for everybody to see, because that's what you know, like they're right at the front of it. So you know, that's what's for sure true. And the ones that I keep hearing the most about out of AAIC this year, which is the global conference that I mentioned for international research, um, they brought up for the first time a blood test that they're working on that they are, I don't know if it's completely finished or if they're close to finishing, but a blood test where you will literally be able to take this test and know that you have Alzheimer's that right there is like the biggest step to me that I have heard in terms of close to something. I mean, when you think about it, you, you have to be able to, to more like accurately and earlier diagnose something before you can figure out how to cure it, you know? So that's a really big first step. Right. Um, another, another big study they were seeing really positive traction with had to do with blood pressure. Um, and so heart health is obviously a big thing, but blood pressure being that they mentioned a specific range that if you could keep your blood pressure in these numbers, you could stave off longer, mild cognitive impairment. So that means mild cognitive, wow. mild cognitive huh. impairment is that window of time before you officially are in the Alzheimer's phase. And so if you can stave off that gotcha. window of before you even get yeah. to like, that's, that's a pretty big thing. Right. Right. So that was another super positive right. one. Right. Um, and then the other biggest thing that they're still currently working on and, and we pump up a lot is just lifestyle changes. I mean, learning to hmm. get enough sleep, um, have a correct diet. They typically say that a Mediterranean diet is the healthiest for the brain, keeping physical exercise, um, brain exercises as well staying socially active all of those things so those lifestyle things they're they're doing a lot of studies specifically with those that are showing that those can really improve your cognitive health as well that's wonderful i mean it's again you've got to be improving you gotta we have to take the things we've learned to improve and it's it's definitely something that is as we see hope in the uh you know things like the walk in fundraising efforts there. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a national, and again, it's a national initiative. So mm-hmm. not only is Brighton doing it, but also, um, Oh, who do I follow on Instagram here? Pretty much everyone, <laughs> every, uh, you know, Connecticut and, you know, Texas and all these other places. Everybody's over got 600 across it's the nation. Wild. It's wild. And everyone does their own thing and they find their own way to, um, 
to to do walk and um, I mean 2020 was a big year for the association because from my research again um, a 300 million dollar increase for research funding which came yeah. from the top and we're talking about the government and so that's a big deal especially right now uh, without politicizing anything tumultuous times maybe definitely yep. though for sure <laughs> but at the end of the day still able to get legislation passed which is a huge thing to get yeah. legislation passed to increase the the budget for research funding which would now be a grand total of 3.1 billion dollars annually so that's a, that's amazing because again not only with uh the money coming from other places but walk being the national flagship this is what we're doing once a year uh, at the least, right, once a year um, to raise money for Alzheimer's research. Uh, we know that fundraising starts with that grassroots, you know, on the ground, pound the pavement type uh, type fundraising. How much money, to your knowledge, how much money has Brighton raised for Alzheimer's research since you've been doing this? As far as just Brighton raising money in general, I wrote down numbers from 2011 all the way through because it was just insane to me. I'm so, so proud of this group, I by the way, especially, especially the last physical walk that we did face-to-face. -face. The oh, numbers yeah. that we shared, um, and I won't spoil your, th I won't ruin your thunder here. No, you're good. I was so proud of this group. I actually don't have it in front of me, so I can't spoil your thunder. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'll, I'll end my little piece here with 2019 compared to 2020 because I've been giving talks all over the place on just the amazing things that you people got did. It. <laughs> let's talk. Yeah, let's talk Brighton's numbers. Tell me the good news. Yeah. So back in 2011, when Brighton started, it was approximately a $30,000 walk. Right. We so said that. that number doubled in the first three years. Wow. And then it doubled again in the next three years. And then wow. in 2019, raised over yeah. $181,000. That's okay, so, awesome. so now these are the That's two cool. numbers that I'm really looking at this year that I keep telling everybody. This is what tells me Livingston County is amazing, and they have they have just they've yes. really come together. They really rally behind this cause. You look at the year of 2019, yes. and you look at the year of 2020. 2020 sucked right. for so many people. It was so hard for every single. Oh yeah, one it was horrible, us. awful. It was awful, yeah. right? But in that year, we still raised over $141,000. That is not much of a difference from a very normal year the year before. <laughs> right. Let's, yeah, no, not at all. So let's take a look again. 2019, 180,000 roughly. Last year, nobody's going anywhere. Um, and I do remember we did the virtual walk to end Alzheimer's this time mm -hmm. around, right? So I was able to do that, mm -hmm. uh, which more or less, uh, for those of you just listening who have never done this before uh, or done walk before or anything like that, um, yeah, a glorified Zoom call presentation kind of thing. And uh, we invited walkers, right, all over wherever they were uh, yeah. to do their two-mile walk uh, anywhere that they were. I know some of us were able to – I walked from my house to downtown Brighton and back, uh, which would have mm -hmm. been three miles. So I am patting myself on the back for that uh, <laughs> only because I didn't pass out, which was amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, and that's just a small, um, that's just a small representation because again, 2020, we did not do anything in person at all. And walk exactly. revolves around in-person type stuff. So yeah. Um, so just a few other numbers to put out there. Sure. I, I think that the, the number of teams is also, I think, really indicative of like how many people are really behind it. And so yeah. this one, I think, is a big one, too. In 2019, we had 110 teams sign up. And in 2020, we still had 101 teams sign up. That's like to me, that's essentially the same number. And so that's right. that's amazing to me, like right. all of the same people that are here year after year for the cause and growing numbers still came back in 2020 with everything going on. So to me, that's that's just huge. That's awesome. And so a team, just to clarify, a team we're talking yeah. about, uh, someone has organized a group of fundraisers, right? Is that uh, kind of put your stamp It can on be that. fundraisers or not. So basically all it takes to start a team is just to register online, which is free. And then you ask your, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, whoever you want to join you for walking. So um, the, there's no like minimums or anything required for fundraising. So like even my own team personally, right. I have like 20 or so family members that are all on this team for my grandfather. 
some people fundraise and some people don't. Some people fundraise just a little bit and some people fundraise a ton. It's kind of up to the individual what they're going right. to do with it. But but yes, so it's it's kind of a group that you get together for the cause. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, we got to everybody's got to know what a team can do. Uh and even though I know the answer to this, what is your team's <laughs> name by the way? My team is Team Ted. If you ever see us on a walk day, we are the ones wearing the red suspenders around downtown. <laughs> I don't want to show favorites to any specific team, but I did. I may or may not have, but definitely did order red suspenders from Amazon. I'm not <laughs> joking. Where did the red suspenders come from? So one thing that I think is really unique to walk is that you can choose to name your team whatever you want. So sure. like if it's a business team, people name it like Team Lakeside or Team right. whatever the coffee shop is or, right, you know, right. things like that. If it's right. a team, sometimes it's just Team Grandma Flow. Some people get yeah. really unique and they come up with super fun names. Our team name specifically is just Team Ted because it's for Grandpa Ted. But um, a lot of teams will make their own team t-shirts too. So this is kind of where it came into play for us. We wanted something unique that was specific to grandpa. And he has this yeah. pair of red suspenders that he wore for years and years to all of the family weddings. And he used to get up on a table and dance with his red suspenders. He'd stick his thumbs in the red suspenders and he'd dance on the table and be a goofball. <laughs> and he did this at the family weddings for years. <laughs> and he did it he did it at my wedding he did it at my sister-in-law's wedding and he's oh now at the point where gosh. he's not climbing on tables anymore but when we were coming up my with like, what goodness. do we want to do that like just really tells our story and tells the story of grandpa we yeah. we came up with these shirts that say my hero yeah. wears red suspenders and so we all wear red suspenders with our shirts yeah just makes it very personal that's awesome i yeah of course of course now that i have that context the next time I see him, which will be soon. I feel it will be soon uh, with all of this in the world. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I know uh, I was, I wouldn't say push, but it was definitely recommended. And I did. And I got to get on it. To, I've started my team, but I got to get on it. I mean, I have no excuse, Nicole. I should have been putting out more in the world because, well, all we've been doing is binge watching and that's about it. So I should be able to, you might see some more Motor City. You might see some more from yours truly on the Facebook page or at MotorCityHDJ.com. But there are a few, there are a few elements of walk that are very special to the walk, special representations of um, the people that we're walking for. And so one of these things well, and I kind of threw this one in here, so I'm throwing you a curveball because it's not on the list of questions I sent you. What uh, <laughs> one thing as I'm um, I know that every time I see you, purple is somewhere in your uh, in your wardrobe for a very specific reason. And that is because the Alzheimer's Association has chosen purple, right, to represent mm -hmm. the, uh, the cause. What is the significance of the color purple to the Alzheimer's Association. No idea? Really? I actually have never been asked that question. And well, you know what? I don't I don't know I that love I've ever that I asked threw it myself you a either. I wish you could see this video. <laughs> this is not a video podcast. I want to know. <laughs> yeah. This is not a video podcast, but to see Nicole shake her head at me and go, I have no idea was the funniest <laughs> thing I've seen in a long time. Um, well, no, that's okay. I, I just ask that because you know, we look at different organizations, right? The American um, mm -hmm. Cancer Society and red ribbons or white for leukemia or, you know, um, purple with Alzheimer's. I just thought maybe you uh, would know. But yes, now we can actually. Well, now I'm going to find out because now, now we're gonna I'm going to have to find too. out why. I've uh, just gone with it all these years and conveniently <laughs> I like the color purple. So I just wear a lot of purple now. So. Well, there you go. And it works out with the Alzheimer's Association. Well, so uh, that would lead me to the next thing. So there are some colors that are significant to the Alzheimer's Association and specifically to a very special element of the walk experience, which is called the Promise Garden. What is the Promise Garden? Explain the Promise Garden and what that means and the significance of that to the Alzheimer's walk into the association as a whole. For anybody that's never been to a physical walk before, um, each of the walkers, when they come and they check in, they go to the Promise Garden booth, they get their own physical pinwheel flower. Um, the forget-me-not flower, they're in the shape of a forget-me-not flower, and there's four different colors specifically that you can choose from, and you choose whichever one applies to you. So there's um, 
like I said, four different colors. Um, starting with orange is just somebody who shares the passion and shares um, the want for Alzheimer's to be eradicated. They just kind of share our vision. Yellow is specifically for somebody that's caring for somebody. So whether that's caring in a professional manner or you're a caregiver yourself, you've just got a family member, something like that. Um, purple is that you've lost somebody to the disease. And then blue is that you're living with the disease. So typically you see a little bit of a smattering of everything. There's, there's a little bit less blue flowers typically at walks. You see definitely quite a few purple flowers and quite a few yellow flowers. Those are probably the most common for sure. Um, and then a few years back, we added one final color, which was the white flower. And this mm. is not one that anybody gets. Um, there is one white flower for each event, and that's held up on the stage at a very unique moment. We go through an opening ceremony where we kind of explain each of the colors. Um, the MC will go through all of it with us. Typically, we find one of our local walkers who shares that color and we kind of tell their story and they come up on stage and they get to hold that flower and honor their loved one. Um, and then we end with the white flower, which symbolizes finding your cure one day. Um, and so that's, that's just the hope that uh, one day very soon we'll be able to have more of those white flowers in our garden. Yeah. That's the moment that always makes the most impact on me. Uh, yeah. Every event, I mean, virtually, you know, um, well, yeah, I've, I've only ever done one walk so far. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, one Brighton walk. Yes, we've gone down the laundry list of events, but I've done a few walks, but it's that white flower for me that makes the most impact to say um, this, this color is so rare and we can't wait to share it with the rest of the world uh, as it pertains to the Alzheimer's Association and what it means and the significance of you know, finally getting to that day where we can say, okay, we don't need the Alzheimer's association anymore. We're shutting up the shop because it's been cured. But unfortunately I feel like it's going to be around for a little bit longer. You know, it's one of those things where we want to, we hope to find a cure, right. Um, but mm -hmm. we're going to do all we can while it's here. And so I, I commend yep, you and it steps um, for sure. all of my friends of the Alzheimer's association for what you do. Um, I'm going to slip another one in here on your pal. Uh, you've kind of You're explained, okay. yeah, you've explained um, that part of the walk experience. So let's let's go back to the beginning of the walk day experience. What is the walk day? What can someone expect who's never been there before? Mm -hmm. What can they expect on walk day from start to finish? So when somebody first gets there, they might be, obviously, depending on how soon, they might be a little overwhelmed at first, I think, by like the yeah. amount of people and things going on. Um, typically, the the process of getting checked in, and then it's a little while before the opening ceremony actually starts. So we have various things going on to kind of fill that time with. It's You, you don't typically want to be somebody that just comes in last second, checks in, is there for the ceremony and walks real quick. You want right. to like come and enjoy the whole experience. So like registration will open at nine o'clock in the morning, and it'll be like 1030 before we have the actual opening ceremony. And that's because we have various booths stationed around. And so it's anything from like there's a fun kid zone that's filled with games that you can take the kids over to play. Like we've had face painting or caricatures and that kind of stuff before. Um, there's tents that are specific to programs and resources so that you can come get information that you might need if you're struggling or maybe new to the disease or you just need extra resources for a family member or whoever else. For the last few years, we've had a local massage therapist on site that's been yeah. doing like chair, chair yes. massages for uh -huh. caregivers and that's that kind of thing. That's my favorite booth, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's there's always a huge mix of lots of different things. Sure. Um, obviously, another big part of that is that when businesses or people decide to sponsor the walk, um, depending on what level they sponsor at, they have booths as well. So there's usually a section of tables where um, they're promoting their business and just kind of building that relationship with us that, right, Hey, we right. support your guys's mission and we're supporting them as well. There's typically like a refreshment area and that type of thing. There's a seated area. And then we always have lots of entertainment. So we've had in Brighton specifically, we've had a really strong relationship with the high school the last few years. And so um, like in 2019 specifically, we had um, various acapella groups from all of the Brighton high schools come up and do performances. Um, there's right. usually a local kid that comes up to do the national anthem. When it's time to actually do the ceremony itself, that's when 
there tends to be a little bit more of a hush and people are kind of honed in on this this right. like we were kind of talking about before we go through the colors right. we go through the flowers it's it's a very moving part of the day and then we right. end that ceremony with the kickoff for the walk and a countdown to start that walk going and so mm -hmm. when we do that countdown and the walk kicks off the last few years the pet band from brighton has like started us off with you know their band piece mm -hmm. got, got some music to get us going there's football mm -hmm. players kind of stationed along and cheerleaders and pom and and everything kicking yeah. us off and getting us going it's very high energy um yeah. and then the route kind of follows the route and then on the way back we end in the same place um and the cheerleaders form a tunnel with their pom-poms and everything and everybody's shouting yeah. and cheering <laughs> the so mc's cool. calling out team names yeah. and it's it's just a really cool experience Definitely. I think my favorite thing about the, uh, seeing the experience as a whole is that it is meant for the entire family to get involved. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, uh, I just, man, I cannot wait. I can't wait. October needs to come. Let's go. Let's get it. Um, definitely. Uh, I'm man, I'm looking forward to it so much. Um, tell me about too. I, I know I didn't necessarily, uh, we didn't prep for this ahead of time, but uh, specifically with the different levels of fundraisers, one thing that yeah. comes to mind too, because we, we definitely want to recognize people that have gone above and beyond with their yeah. fundraising efforts. So uh, very quickly, if you wouldn't mind breaking down the, uh, the tiers, as it were, there are different circles. Is that the right phrase to use? Um, we call them like different champion levels. Champion and levels. So, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, how do, yeah. Who, who are they? How do they get there? So the three levels that we have are a champion is somebody who's raised $500 or more. Um, a grand champion is somebody that's raised $1,000 or more. And then an elite okay. grand champion is something that we added a couple of years ago. That's somebody that's raised $2,500 yeah. or more. So those are just to that's give you deal. like a rough idea of what those levels are. So something really specific that I want to share with you, um, just based off champions, something that we work really hard with and, and I think just in general, I, I try and get to know a lot of my walkers on a personal level um, and just make sure that they know how appreciated they really are. Um, and especially with the champions, yeah. I, I try and go out of my way to make sure that they know like, not only yes, I'm super thankful for everything you're doing and I see you, but like, I want you to know how big of a difference you're really making. And so we typically have some kind yeah. of small event just for champions where I can let them know like the, what you did made this difference. I want to give them something tangible to hang on to. Right. And so, um, something that I was looking at the other day, actually, I was just talking with my mission co-chair about this, but in 2019, we had I'm trying to remember exactly how many now, something like 60 something champions in Brighton in 2019, but they raised $99,000. Wow. So that's out of the 181 that we made total, 99,000 was those 60 Jeez. people. Now that's out of, we had 945 oh walkers gosh. that year. So like wow. our champions wow. are raising over half of the money of like the entire revenue for the whole walk. Like those people are making a huge difference. And I want to wow. make sure they know, like, don't that's just awesome. feel like, yes, I'm, I'm doing a good job and I fundraise. No, you're making a huge difference. Right for finding this cure, for giving uh, yeah. people support, all of those things. I mean, it's it's literally over half of our entire revenue that these people are doing. So they do amazing things. All right. So as I wrap it up, as we come to a close on this conversation, which of course I could go all day long and talk about you guys. I'm so amazingly humbled and um, I, I love uh, every opportunity I have to work with the Alzheimer's Association. How, how does someone who's brand new to this whole thing, listening to this right now say, you know what? Yeah, I want to get in on this walk that you're talking about. How do they start that process? Where do they go? Give me everything. It's super easy. They literally just have to go to our website. So the the easy version in general is just alz.org slash walk. Um, and you can put in your zip code. It'll pull up all of the walks near you. In Michigan, we have 25 walks. So for Brighton specifically, we do have our own page. And that's just act.alz.org slash Brighton. And it is that simple. They'll click register. They'll put in their information. It's free to register. It'll ask if you want to make a donation to start off your team with, but you don't have to. It's up to you. And then from there, you can just, you know, invite your invite your friends and family to join you. They can sign up the exact same way. There's once you're registered, you're kind of in your participant center. And it's it's if you take the time to look at it, it's a really unique platform. I think that's pretty easy to use. 
And you can do you can do things like send emails to your team or to your friends straight from your participation center. They've got templates already made up for you. You can hook it up to your Facebook for fundraising. Like there's all kinds of things on there. But we do find too that when people register, there's a section where you can personalize your page and you can put like your own story and your own picture and that kind of thing. And typically the people that take the time to put their own story in their own picture and really take the time to personalize it are the people that raise maybe right, two thirds right. more or something like that than just the average. Awesome. What does Brighton have planned for this year? So for the walk itself, it's going to be, it's still the first Saturday in October. So it's going to be Saturday, October 2nd. Um, we were yep. pretty excited this year. We had a few new faces jump on board. So Barb Binkley from Cooper and Binkley Jewelers and Bink and Babs Wonderful. Boutique is co-chairing for us this year as well as Don and Sandy Cortez from First Impressions Print and Marketing and Howell. So they're kind of coming together to, they're putting their their contacts and their resources together to try and help spread this awareness um, and help us a little bit more in that way this year. I can't wait. October 2nd can't come soon enough. I hope we get to in person. We are going to. I told you this before. <laughs> We're going to. This walk is happening this year, If you say it enough friend. times, it'll happen, right? That's what I keep telling It will myself. happen. We're going to speak it. Yes, we're going to speak it into existence. Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Don't forget, ALZ.org. Nicole, thank you. Thank you so much, Brett. 